Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back. It's a fantastic week, and we can be saying the same thing about one of our favorite quarterbacks of all time. Welcome back. Welcome back. And I want to welcome back another man that's part of the show, as always, the big man, the man that runs the show, Dave Richardson. How's your week going, bud? You know, it's uh, it's been a little bit of an up-down week. I feel like we had smoke down here uh in portland and now it's been it's been raining a bunch but it's been good it's been good for the area but most of all it feels good um to say that the cougs are now ranked 18th in both the coaches poll and the ap poll ap i like a little bit better uh i can't remember the last time we were ranked this high it couldn't have been till at least the early 2000s Um, so excited about that makes the whole week just feel a little bit better and when the seahawks win too both your teams go two and oh it's it's been good 2003, I believe, is the last time is the last time the Cougs have been ranked this high, and I think this is uh, some of the most exciting times in Washington State football in the last. I would have to say the last 21st century. Yeah, I mean this has just been an exciting run. I, you know, Grant. Okay, they're three and zero against three inferior teams with a big time comeback. You have an oppor- a big-time opportunity this weekend to go 4-0 and over a really depleted Nevada team. So I think this, this time right now in Cougar football, it's kind of interesting, though, Dave. If you think about it, the Cougs have a chance to go 4-0. First time since uh, 03, I believe it is. Yeah. So, you know, obviously it's been well over a decade since Washington State football has been this good. Washington State has a chance to go 4-0 this weekend, though, Dave. And what's so funny about that is if you look over – I don't know if you had a chance to do it, but if you look over the bowl predictions from this last week, I mean, there is still no love. There is no love for Washington State football this year. It just made me sit back and think. I said, man, maybe we should have lost to Montana State. We lose to Montana State and won't be picked to win the Alamo Bowl. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, it's like guys are picking us to win the Cactus Bowl this year, and Cactus we're about to go four and zero. Yeah, the Vegas Bowl. No, I think there's one bowl prediction out there that has us possibly going to the Alamo Bowl. But the Alamo, yeah, that's the, maybe the Holiday that's Bowl. That's the ceiling. That's the ceiling. Yeah. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Who's going to be better than Washington State in the in the in the North? You obviously, UW's going to be there. But is Stanford really Stanford still? Are they still stuck in 2016? You know, or 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 is is Oregon? You know, Oregon's looking good, but their defense still sucks. Um, yeah, they, they do really, look really good. And, I think they lead the nation in like rushing touchdowns or sure rushing yards per game or something. Their offense has been their offense is always good, but I feel like it's even better than I thought it was going to be. They are I'm also sure. now ranked top 25. They're number 24 in the nation. Overhyped. I'm worried. I'm worried about that game. I, I I don't know. After Ryan Nall had some pretty, I don't know. I, Ryan Nall had some pretty good runs against us. That was going to happen. Um, the run defense a little worried about. I, I am worried about Royce Freeman when that game comes around. We'll talk about it when, when it comes around. But I don't think I think it's uh, I don't think it's far fetched to see um, the Ducks ranked 
um, 24. Their defense is, like you said, it's it's, it's lacking. Um, but they've been playing good football. And that Josh Allen they played this week, they played it against Wyoming, who's right after the draft, the NFL draft this last year, they talk about, oh, who are the next guys that will be picked, you know, one or two. And it was Sam Darnold. And at the time, it was someone I honestly had never really heard of, and that was Josh Allen, the quarterback out of Wyoming, which – I kind of enjoyed. I kind of enjoyed a Wyoming quarterback being talked about so high. I mean, all these you know, recruiting. There's so much money in it. These big schools, and you see a quarterback out of Wyoming maybe being first or second overall pick. He threw for something like less than a hundred. I want to say it was like 63 passing yards against the Ducks. Um, which that's that's tough to hold any quarterback to that low of passing yards, even though it's a Mountain West team. But Josh Allen's speed is good talent. So that defense made me think. Well, maybe they're maybe they're maybe a little bit better than I thought. Um, but the real quarterback to talk about is Luke Falk and his bounce back game, throwing six yeah. touchdowns. It felt good, Kurt. It felt good to see it. That's what we wanted to see. That's what we expected to see. What did you think when you watched the game and, and saw Luke Falk playing? Yeah, I still saw a lot of that inconsistent play to start. It just aggravated the snot out of me on how they started in that first quarter and what are they doing throwing a swing route in your own end zone and um, that kind of – Got my blood boiling a little bit, but then you, but then you, but then you saw them really pick up where they need needed to. They sort of picked up where they left off from. Would be Montana State, and I guess we really hadn't seen the offense explode like it had. Yeah, some I deep guess, passing balls. I That's guess what we probably. I mean, I thought to go back and look at the um, 2016 schedule. I'm trying to remember who. The Wash State Cougars played against uh, before that. So they played California. They played Cal, that game that we lost River Craycraft to an ACL tear. Right. Cal, and we dropped 56 points on Cal. So the next few games after that, you go 24 points to Colorado, 17 to Washington, and I believe it was 12 to Minnesota. <laughs> so we really and – then, and then you throw 31 out at Montana State, which you – Felt like it could have been 60. And the <laughs> offense looked terrible against Boise State until Helensky came in. And that took – they got 40-something points in three overtimes. Yep. So this offense really hasn't seen the success we've been used to since uh, you could call it November 12, 2016. So I think what we saw in those last three quarters against a Pac-12 opponent, mind you, Yep. In Oregon State. Yes, they're Oregon State, but I think they are better than some folks give them credit for. They're going to be really diff- tough. They're going to find some tough, tough, you know, stretches throughout the season without their quarterback now with him out. And that that, see, that team has definitely changed. Luton wasn't that bad of a quarterback. But it's going to be interesting to see how they, they turn out that season. Probably not very yeah. good. But – for Washington State, it was really good to see that offense finally catch some stride. And I think Luke, I think we talked about this last week, Dave, is does Luke trust his receivers? Does he trust them? Yep. And I think, I you know what I think it came down to? I honestly think it came down to, I don't, it was sometime, uh, it was in the second quarter, and there was an offsides on the defense against Oregon State. And Luke Falk did the smart thing. He did the Aaron Rodgers thing where he just hucked it down the sideline 
up for his receiver. And guess what? Is he just hucked it up there? I believe it was Tavares Martin Jr. came down with the catch for thirty something yards. And I honestly think that's that that Luke just realized then and there, whoa, he just went up and made that catch over that foo. And and I think uh I think that kind of kick started. I think that was a moment where Luke finally decided I could throw to these guys and they can make plays. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I felt really good right from that first touchdown to Tavares Martin. I felt like Luke threw about the prettiest ball you could possibly throw where Martin just burned. I mean, he had two guys chasing him. Uh, he was five yards past him in the end zone, but Luke just hit him step for step, put just the amount of loft on the ball and hit him right in the corner of the end zone. And that being a, I think it was a 20 some yard, you know, passing touchdown, but he's a little bit deeper in the end zone. It's probably a little bit more than that for air yards. Uh, that felt good to see. It wasn't this dumping and dinking that did happen in the game. Um, and then you're right on, on the, the trust factor. It, Isaiah Johnson Mack, you know, he's a bigger guy, and they've talked about is he a guy that can go up and contest for those 50-50 balls? He definitely had a touchdown catch um, where uh, the, the corner was kind of bodying him up, trying to box him out a little bit, and he went up and snagged it. Um, and that's exactly what you want when you're in man coverage one-on-one, trust your guy to be better and, and jump up and get it, and he did. Um, so I felt really good about that. At times, I think you're right, Luke, there was – or <laughs> Luke, yeah. Kurt, there was some frustrating times when Luke – um, did just check it down or just um, go for a really short pass. Uh, that safety in particular was very frustrating. Um, a lot of people put that on the coaches. Um, but there was receivers running downfield. I don't know what he was thinking to put it over there. Now, the ball was tipped, but still, to be five yards in your own end zone and throw to a guy in your own end zone drives you a little bit wild. Um, but at the end of the day, Luke's stats were pretty remarkable, getting pulled early, too. Um and in particular, Kurt, we talked about this right after the game. Um, Tavares Martin had a huge game, 10 catches, almost 200 yards, 194, and three touchdowns. That should be turning a lot of heads. Um, admittedly, when I watched it, I, I didn't realize how good of a game he was having. You knew he was doing well when he broke off that big 50-yard, you know, it was kind of just a slant, and he just turned up field and took off and, and scored a touchdown. You're like, oh, he's going to have, you know, some good numbers. That's a monster day. I'm surprised people in the Pac-12 aren't really noticing or, or talking about that too much. We knew he was good and capable of it, but at, uh, to have a game like that to, sh- to show where he's trusting his receivers is definitely a step in the right direction. I feel like Nevada, against a very weak Nevada team, uh, you have to think they're going to continue this, hopefully get even more in stride before USC comes into town. Uh, what did you think about the defense uh, in, in this game against Oregon State? Defense looked pretty solid other than you'd be kind of frustrated over the rushing defense and Ryan Nall being able to break yeah. free a few times and the frustration there a little bit but i think the really big time story for this defense is is going to be the loss of uh, Palur and that yeah. losing him for what sounds like to be a season ending injury just is going to be I don't know. It's just sad to see this, and it happened to River last year. I think this yeah. case is even worse because Pelura is pretty much gone for the whole year. Uh, River, unfortunately, didn't get a play in an Apple Cup and wasn't able to finish out his senior. It's just, it's just really heartbreaking to see these guys that have been with the program for so long. They've made such an, such an impact for the team over the last few years. And... Um, yeah, it's just really, really sad to see injuries play a factor into all this. 
And, you know, everybody deals with it. You know, no excuses, no nothing to, to complain about there. But it's just really, it's really a bummer, you know. And so that was a really sour point of leaving that game and seeing one of our top defenders having a, sounds like he's going to be out for the season. Obviously, we never know because we never really hear from the horse's mouth. So we, we never really, we really never really know what's going to happen. But, um, but it sounds like, though, Dave, there's some uh, there's some intriguing depth at the linebacker position. There is for Washington State, and and uh, and it's going to be interesting to see how they uh, turn this thing around uh, on defense and see who steps up in that middle middle linebacker spot. So uh, I'm curious to see what happens moving forward, um, especially against USC in two weeks. That's yep. going to be the real test. Can't wait for that game. By the way, it's sold out officially. Yeah, but. Um, yeah, but defensively overall, we saw the the typical guys, and I I think I me- remember hearing about this. I think I listened to it on the Cook Center Hour with um, with Preston there. I guess if you look back, and I haven't watched the replay, Dave, they brought out the Cougs started their number ones, but brought them out pretty quick in that ball game, and so I don't think you saw Hercules Mataafa even get in the backfield or get a sack. Um, Luvu, I think, got back there once. Uh, there was a couple guys, but you know, pretty much first quarter on or second quarter on, you didn't hear a whole lot about a lot of number ones up front. Yeah. Well, Kurt, I got a little uh, fun fact for you. We're gonna start a segment, Dave's fun fact of the week. Um, I saw this stat, and I thought it was really telling of both our defensive line coaching uh, with Coach Phelps, and um, yeah, just the talent we've got and what Grinch has been doing. So. Um, we have 10 sacks through three games this year so far, which is great. So for context, last year through three weeks, we had two sacks. So that's a huge change uh, already just from the get-go. Now it's different opponents, different different you know personnel and stuff like that. But I feel like Frankie Luvu is in on every defensive play. It, it feels like, honestly, yeah. when I'm watching highlights, it's like, oh, who's that guy putting pressure on the quarterback? Who's that guy scooping and scoring? It's Frankie Luvu. And I love it. I mean, this guy was talked about um you know in in fall camp you know oh he's gonna be someone's gotta step up and he's just a playmaker he's just a baller and so uh i really enjoyed that that strip sack i think it was marcel's pippins they must have called some sort of a, a corner blitz there on luton um to to sack him and strip him for the luvu scoop and score yep. uh, it's awesome to see the defense scoring in back-to-back weeks i mean I know we're maybe kicking a, a dead horse a little bit and talking about the years of football we hearkened back to when we were in college watching it, but the defense never scored, it felt like. It would score once every three years. So to have back-to-back weeks that happen is pretty awesome. Uh, unfortunately, something another injury that happened, that um, which I'm grateful he's um, not seriously injured, but the Jalen Thompson hit on Jake Luton was really unfortunate. I'm glad it wasn't a targeting penalty. I don't think Jalen Thompson was trying to do that. But when you watch that live and you saw his head kick back and he was just blacked out, I mean, it wasn't one of those plays where you're, where you're pumped because it's like, oh, he just crushed him. You could tell immediately something serious had happened. Luton hit the ground and was just out cold, laying, you know, a little bit awkwardly. And guys rushed over. And he at that point he still hadn't moved at all. And there was some there was some real concern. That was a that was a bummer to see. The backup yeah. came in, Kurt, and played, and I felt like he played almost as well as Jake Luton, which to me was kind of average uh, a quarterback play. But it was an unfortunate game for both teams on a game that pretty much, you know, got pretty out of out of hand quickly for Oregon State 
um, and, and in the in the good sense for the Cougs, that there was major injuries on both sides. I feel like that kind of left a sour taste um, at, at the end of the game. Is there anything, though, uh, Kurt, you feel like the Cougs maybe uh, could improve on or, or should be doing differently that you'd like to see uh, against Nevada this next week? I think this is a perfect opportunity to really put together all full four quarters. We still haven't seen it. We haven't seen it yeah. yet. I think this is a really good opportunity for Washington State to come out and do that. Um, this is a really Nevada team that's pretty banged up, pretty beat up. Um, they're dealing with, I believe, a freshman quarterbacks getting the start this weekend. A true freshman. True freshman. So it's going to be a long, long day for that young man. So I, th- I think uh, I think this is going to be a great opportunity really since that Idaho game or maybe even that Arizona game before that that Cal game last year. So Arizona on November fifth when we trounced Arizona sixty nine to seven. You know, I, it'd be really, really nice to see these Cougs play all four quarters and not have that just bummer bummer point in that first quarter and just come out strong and firing. Yeah. And uh and really get things clicking. And you've seen it the last two years under Mike Leach now and you've seen it kind of over his time here at WSU, but especially more these last two years, Dave, the third game and the fourth game of the season for Washington State is really where they make their stride to to, to make things happen. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think we saw the Idaho game last year and then Oregon again. I, that Oregon game you and I went to last year um, really saw that offense just take off. And I think that's where we're kind of in the midst of that time. I threw that later part of the Oregon State game, and then and then this weekend you're really hoping this offense irons out all the kinks and really gets ready for the hot and heavy time in conference play. So four quarters, four quarters of play against a Nevada team that you're favored by 28 points. Now's the time. Yeah. You know, so Nevada is 0-3. They just recently lost to Idaho State, 30-28. They lost to Toledo, and they lost at Northwestern. We talked about this um, in, I think, our first episode. Nevada, um, which is a team that I think I believe invented um, kind of that pistol offense. Yep, they um, certainly did. And they were they were always producing running backs. I felt like every year a Nevada running back would be drafted about the fifth round of the NFL draft and would be you know bounce around teams. You'd always see it. They're they've transitioned to the spread offense, which you have to think that's been a rough adjustment for them. It looks like it has. They've been able to score a little bit. They scored twenty their first game, twenty four and twenty eight. Um, but Kurt, I I think just kind of answer my own question on what I think maybe I'd like to see the Cougs do. And this feels a little bit like rinse, wash, repeat for Mike Leach offense that we could just say every, every week it feels like so there's some weeks where we're like, wow, this is what this running offense, you know, these running backs can do yeah. you know, when we really run the ball. But uh, it was frustrating that we didn't run the football. Yeah. Not once in the first one quarter time in the first quarter. Yeah. yeah. And then at the end of the game, I think it was um, uh, Booby Williams had five carries for, I think it was I have 9.2 yards per carry. Uh, Wicks had another five carries, and he averaged over four, which is good. Jamal Moore only had three carries. I mean, this is a game that Oregon State, I, I, I believe I read a stat, they were yielding something close to like, oh, man, maybe worse than the Pac-12 so far in, in rushing defense. You think this is a game the running backs would, would be feasting on, totally. and towards the end that you just want to run the clock out on. Um, now, I know a lot of Oregon State fans – 
um, were very bitter that we were throwing the ball late. Well, I have a quick story. For they you, were Kurt. that bitter? They were very bitter. People, I went online <laughs> and I was reading in the game threads and I was reading some tweets and some comments that people were cursing out Mike Leach, Oregon State fans. They were very, very salty fans. And typically, Kurt, I mean, Real quick, who do you think is your who? Who, if you were forced to root for a number two team in the Pac-12, who who would it be? The number two team in the Pac-12. If you, if you had to pick one, like someone's like, hey, if the Cougs unfortunately are going to cease to exist, but you got to pick another Pac-12 team to root for. Who would you pick? I think you would have to pick our twin bro- twin brother, Oregon State. I, yeah, that's kind of how I feel. So I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't really relish in beating Oregon State like you know, like I would a, a, an Apple Cup, obviously, or an Oregon. But I want to tell you a quick story, Kurt. In the cold fall of 2009, um, this was one of the worst WCU football teams. We won one game that year, I believe, and it was the overtime SMU game, like 30-28. Oh, this gosh. Is, this, this was uh, over Thanksgiving Thanksgiving break, Oregon State came to town. Mike Riley's Oregon State team, I believe they were ranked um, at that time, something in the teens, so close to what WCU is now. And uh, this was that first weekend over Thanksgiving break before the Apple Cup where all the students had already left. All right, everybody had gone home the day before. The team's bad. People don't want to watch it anyways. And I remember watching this game and following it and Oregon State, as you would predict at that time, throttled us. It was just freezing cold, and they just killed us. Yeah. And at the end of the game, they in the fourth quarter, they put in their backup quarterback, similar to what WCU did in this last game. And what were they doing? They were throwing the football with their backup quarterback, and they scored a touchdown with like three minutes left in the fourth, just like salt in the wound. Like it was just like a real kind of felt like an FU touchdown, like hmm. FU WCU. And I was so salty at the time. It was flipped around. I told myself, you know what, someday – the, the script will flip where we're going to be that team where we go to crush them. I'm going to remember this. And it literally felt like the same thing just happened huh. uh, where we got our backup quarterback late in the game and scored. And you know what? All the tears I read about online from Oregon State fans, they really tasted so delicious in this moment. Normally, like I, I talked about, I, they would be a team I'd root for. But in this instance, I feel a, a sense of vindication. Um, but – all of that to be said, I'd love to see us run the ball more against Nevada. Kind of get, I, I'm, I'm thinking this game's going to be a blowout, and I want to get the game yeah. over with quicker. Where I don't want to be throwing towards the end, I want to be running. Just the, the clock keeps going. Um, and lastly, my last point that I'd like to see a little bit, uh, the Cougs do a little bit better is Luke Falk is still he's back there burping the baby, holding on to that football for too long. There's times he's got a really good pocket where you think maybe no one's open. I can't really tell. He holds on to it. Oregon State didn't have a sack coming in this game, and they got three against us this week. Uh, this last week, and that was that was a little frustrating to see. I felt like the O line played a little bit better, um, but Falk still he's got to be a little more decisive, um, I, and hopefully that comes around for Pac-12 play. Uh, but those are my thoughts on what I'd like to see a little better. Do you have a prediction, Kurt, for for a, a final score against Nevada? Fifty-seven fourteen. Oh, we've got very close. We got very similar. Fifty-seven fourteen. Not quite the sixty burger, but. Uh, <laughs> It'd be getting pretty close there, and I think uh, you're going to be seeing Holinsky come in again. How great is this? How much time the future quarterback of this football team is going to have, how much playing time he's actually going to have it under his belt coming into um, his junior year next year. We're going to see a lot of Holinsky at the end of the game. And I really, kind of piggybacking off of what you were talking about, Dave, I just really want to see us get back to what we were doing last year. Yeah. And and really get back to running the football. So I think um 
I think we're really going to see these running backs explode on the ground. Luke's going to have a really good day, 57-14. And I think Nevada's going to score maybe one touchdown in the first half and the other in the second half. All right. That's a good prediction. Yeah. I've got 52-14 Cougs in the game. Got it. Um, and so very similar. I, I agree with you. I love that Helensky's getting some playing time. I love that we've got this game against Nevada uh, to get some film on how our linebackers are doing now that we've got to put someone else in, in, in Peyton Palouer's spot. Uh, a lot of people are looking like are saying it's going to be Nate Ryder, who's a walk-on. Uh, I believe this is his senior year. Um, but we also saw some young linebackers, Mason Vineyard, I think Jihad Woods is another Jihad one. Jihad Woods. And uh, I also heard something on Twitter today talking about the potential of Dotson even coming in, coming in and uh, mm. taking over a middle linebacker. That's true. That would so, be interesting. He he played linebacker in the past. Yeah. So He's kind of been – well, I mean, he's played safety and linebacker in the past both. I mean, he's kind of he's, – he's moved all around. Right. Um, so that yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, he he had a big stop on Ryan Nall that I yeah I mean, got to give a shout out to Ryan Nall. He definitely you know had his opportunities. You know, we kind of took some of those blows, but on there's a fourth and short. It's like a fourth and inches, and Isaac Dotson went right into the backfield and stopped him basically as soon as he he got a hold of the ball. Another guy also brought him down, which was which was pretty good to see. But um, Kurt, that wasn't the only. Uh, you know, Northwest team that got a W this weekend. That's right. There was, uh, there was, was our boys. Another painstakingly. Painstakingly painful Seahawks offense, but they got the uh, W. How do you feel about that Seahawks game? Yeah, this, the, the Stinkhawks, they uh, they really stunk it up on Monday <laughs> or Sunday. That's I shouldn't mean. be. I shouldn't be Stinkhawks. too. I shouldn't they be. got a W. I shouldn't be too down on them. They did get the W. They got the W over the lowly 49ers. Um and and just but I don't know when the conversation's going to change, Dave. Like I just don't know when we're going to change the way we approach this offense. I don't know when we're going to change the way we block. I don't know when we're going to change the way we incorporate Jimmy Graham. I don't know when we're going to change the way we approach the, you know, the, the how we run the ball. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just frustrating, man. Just complete frustration on how this is handled. Because because it's it's different than if you were like, what's a good example? If you were like the okay the Browns, or even you could just say the Forty ers Like the Forty ers on offense don't have anybody right and like yeah carlos hyde i mean yeah okay yeah carlos hyde is a pretty solid running back yeah. one of the one of the well actually probably one of the better running backs in the league really underrated yeah. yep and you you have these two offenses that are going literally neck neck and neck but you look on paper dave you see one offense that is in that is much much more talented much much more talented and the other is dealing with pieces, you know, other than Carlos Hyde. I mean, Hoyer, Brian Hoyer, I'm surprised that guy still even has a job in the NFL. I mean, it's incredible. Oh, come on. You don't think – That's incredible. So, he's he's got to be better than Kaepernick, right? He's got the uh, supposedly, job. Supposedly. Supposedly. So, oh, my gosh. It just – it blows me away that uh, – Seahawks on offense with the talent that they have. I mean, they've got 
they've got a couple receivers that are that are studs. I mean, Baldwin, one of the tops in the league. Lockett's a good a good receiver on the inside, and Richardson not not bad on the outside. If one of the most ta- highly touted tight ends that you forget that you even have a tight end. Um, running back, you still can't figure out what you're doing at running back. You still haven't found a guy that wants to step up other than maybe we're seeing the uh, the revelation of Chris Carson involved, and we'll see what his looks are on offense this yep. next weekend. If he's actually going to get the start and, you know, be the starting guy. But, uh, you know, obviously it comes down to the offensive line every time. It comes down to the offensive line and it just comes down to guys being able to execute in, in, in the play calling and the scheme. It's just this offense is better than the 49ers. It's better than the 49ers and they find a way to compete at the level of the 49ers. I mean, it's it's just honestly incredible. You know, I honestly thought the way that game was going that it would end in a tie. I just felt like something's going to happen. Oh, just like that Cardinals game a, last year. Exactly. Just like, it's as frustrating as the Cardinal game was where it's like neither team really feels like they deserve to win. This is probably the third quarter when I was like, this is going to happen. Now, I don't want to talk about uh, all the bad. There was some good things. That touchdown drive, uh, Russell Wilson pretty much put the team on his back. He ran yep. for something. Uh, he ran for over 20 yards on that drive. Uh, he, he bought time in the pocket. By the way, Dave, delivered. by the way, I, I totally forgot to mention when, when I was going through all of the talent on that on that offense. For some reason, I just totally forgot to mention Russell Wilson. So <laughs> throw that in. He's throw, a pretty good quarterback. Throw that in there. Yeah. So, so – I just was I was like this this is what we deserve is a tie with the 49ers how bad things are going how frustrating it was and when Blair when we scored a touchdown I was like oh, I guess it's not going to be a tie and then Blair Walsh your point and the tie was still possible I was like oh my gosh it's going to happen um I I did like how Russell Wilson played in the fourth quarter the rest of the game not not necessarily great I I loved uh Lockett had nine targets I think he had six catches for 70 some yards you know, a lot of people were pretty sour on l- letting us let Golden Tate walk. Um, we had Percy Harvin come in at that time. We kind of had to pick. We chose Percy. We obviously chose wrong. It's what a lot of people point to is one of the front office's real big mistakes. That's fair. Golden Golden Tate's had some really good years in Detroit. But I kind of feel like we didn't skip a beat once Lockett came in. Like, I feel like Tate would have about the same amount of yards because we'd use him the same way as Lockett. Lockett's a really good possession guy. Tate was also a punt returner and kick returner earlier in his career, and I feel like Lockett's even better. Uh, I kind of have a man crush on Lockett, honestly. I, I love Paul Richardson too, so it's easy for me to fall in love with a lot of the Seahawks. So I thought of course, that was you guys good. have the same last name. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's good stuff. Good people. Um, and those drops, Kurt. Nobody would be talking about Russell Wilson having a bad day if that would have been two more touchdown catches. He would have thrown for over 200 yards and had three passing touchdowns. CJ Precise dropped a bad touchdown catch. People thought McAvoy's the way they reacted seemed like it was a worse drop. I thought that was a little bit tougher. The dude's only caught like 20. His less than he's like 18 career catches right. ever. He's in a little bit of traffic. You gotta bring it in, no excuses. But those weren't those were good, those were good throws, pretty good decisions by Wilson. He would have had three touchdowns on the day, and the game would have been more of a route, not necessarily a blowout. Um and so I feel like we're just a few plays away from this being a completely different narrative that we have around this team. Um, one thing that I was disappointed by was was how well Carlos Hyde played. 
was the rush defense. He had over 100 yards against the Seahawks defense in the first half. In the first half, he ran for over 100 yards. He had like a 60-yard run. That was really disappointing to see and frustrating when you think about how much trouble we were having running the ball, and our defense is much better than theirs, and they're running the ball against our defense. It makes you wonder what's going on. How are they able to get that, but we can't? Is it just is it just that Carlos Hyde's really good? Is it the offensive line? Um, Chris Carson did play well. He had almost 100 yards, 94 yards, I believe, on, on 20 carries, 94, 93. Uh, what do you think, Kurt, going forward? Is Carson the man? Is Was Rawls just on a pitch count because he was injured? Eddie Lacy was a healthy scratch. If you were to just give me a guess on what you thought, you know, if you're going to look back uh, at the end of the year, you know, what do you think is going to happen? Is it going to be is, – is, is Carson the real deal or is it going to be Rawls? It looks like at this point Eddie Lacy's taking a back seat to those two guys. Yeah, which is actually surprising because I thought Lacy was actually going to be one of our – I thought he was going to be our cowbell. Like I thought he had put the work in this offseason. He lost the weight. We were going to get the um, the rookie in his sophomore year in the NFL. You know, Eddie Lacy, 1,200, 1,400 yards. Um, I thought that was what we were going to get, and I'm, and I'm extremely surprised. The problem is, Dave, is that I just don't see any of these running backs going to be able to run behind this offensive line that we've put together. Like, I just don't see them being all that successful. There, there's obviously a guy that could be more successful than another if you're dealing with the offensive line, and I feel like that has to be Chris Carson because of his athleticism, and and I just don't know if Eddie Lacy can sort of do what Carson could do if there was some pressure in the backfield, you know, some guys getting some penetration. I think, I think we've seen so far that Carson can at least elude some of those guys to get back to the line of scrimmage. I mean, that's what we're essentially dealing with here. So I think, mm-hmm. um, I think Chris Carson's going to end up winning that job. It. I. I still also think that. I still think that Rawls is a little banged up, and yeah, high ankle sprain takes a while to heal from. Yeah, I think he's still a little banged up, so I don't think you could throw him out of the mix. Rawls, we've seen him be effective in spurts. We've really seen some consistency out of that guy because he can't stay healthy. So I think, I think honestly, at this point, what it seemed like is that there's really not, there's really not a tough choice. There's it's not really actually a tough choice for the Hawks to make right now at the running back spot. I mean, why don't you give it to the rookie for him to to make it make it happen? I mean, this seems like the year of the rookie running backs, doesn't it? I mean, this is yeah, well, and of, last year too. Yeah, and, and last year, but I think this is just why not give the guy give, give the guy a chance? There's there's he's he has a ton of upside for you. You've yeah. seen it. The only thing that's I guess is a cause for concern, Dave, and I don't know if you knew this, but Chris Carson. Had a total of 80 carries last year for Oklahoma State. 80 carries was his load for Oklahoma State last year. Um, and last year was really the only year that he ran the ball for Oklahoma State. So yep. this young man really only has, you know, he, he he's about 100 carries in in his college career. So I think there is a little bit of concern about how long is he going to be going to be able to last this year? You know, can he stay healthy? Can he go through the wear and tear of running against NFL defensive players? So I think there is a little bit of that, maybe some concern from 
the Seahawks and giving yeah. him the full-fledged starting position. So, But I don't think it's actually really that hard. I think Chris Carson's certainly a, a better hand right now over Lacey and Rawls. You know, I I think it's a good that's a it's a good point you make up that question. You know, why not Carson? Carson has yeah. showed uh, pretty good ability when he's gotten a chance. He had a big run against Green Bay, two thirty some uh, you know yarder. Um, at this point, Lacey. So I kind of felt the opposite, Kurt, uh, on Lacey. I felt like in preseason, in particular, just didn't show me uh, anything that exciting. I actually liked. Now, maybe some people agree with you. It's always easy to think the backups are going to be the best for some reason. I always think the backup quarterbacks, the, you know, the, the best for some reason, just different teams. But I liked Mike Davis a lot yeah. in preseason. That guy showed burst. He reminded me of uh, what Chicago has right now in, in Tarek Cohen. He's smaller. He caught the ball well, and he just seemed like a kind of a lightning bolt when the ball was in his hands. And he had the highest yards per carry of any of our preseason running backs. Now you're going against twos and threes some of the time, but he was going against the ones in some of those because he was playing in the first half. I honestly would like to see Mike Davis get called up um, because he shows you a spark. He shows you something. He's kind of like, um, I guess we kind of have that in, in CJ Precise, what we're supposed to be having in CJ CJ Precise, but yeah. your availability is your skill, is an asset. And Precise and Rawls haven't showed that they can be available for us. Um, Even Richardson, all, too. Yeah, and Richardson as well. And, and he, well, credit to him, his, his bones supposedly broke through his skin and he came back out and caught the game-winning touchdown. So it's good Gosh. to see him play through that pain because there is just some a sense of suck it up and go for it. But I kind of personally... Now we have a very small sample size with Carson, so I don't really know what I, what we really have yet. I don't think they really know. But when I compare what I've seen with Rawls and Carson, I like what I see out of Rawls more talent-wise. Personally, I love the way he runs. He runs with attitude. He bowls people over. Um, I think he is a great running back talent. Um, but because of his injuries, I almost wonder if the coaches are a little bit tired of that and just say, hey, we're going to go with a guy that, you know, doesn't have that that history of injuries and, and give him the rock and feel confident giving it to him 20 times a game and um, you know not have it, this huge fear of injuries. I don't know what's going to happen between between Rawls and uh, and you know Carson. I could see Rawls eating eating more carries these next couple of weeks, but I don't really see Pete Carroll being a, he's never really been a running back by committee kind of guy. Um, and he was talked really highly of Carson all preseason and Pete Carroll doesn't necessarily. He gives everyone, you know, positive reviews, but to really go out of his way and highlight someone shows you that they've got a lot of faith in him. Kurt, I got a different question for you. It's been a frustrating season so far, like we've talked about. We're one and one. Things could be, you know, we're just a few plays away in both those, you know, against Green Bay and winning that game and, and against San Fran and, and having a much higher score, but it's been frustrating so far. Do you think that the coaches are maybe any of the coaches actually on the hot seat like some of the fans think? Or do you think that John Schneider is calling around maybe at least looking at making a trade, maybe with the offensive line or or maybe moving on from Jimmy Graham? Do you have any thoughts on yeah, that? Yeah, that whole Jimmy Graham experience and that experiment is, I think, is wearing thin. <laughs> I honestly think that this Jimmy Graham is just not a fit. It's just not a fit because you'd figure it would be producing more fruit. Now, yes, I know everybody talks about that Jimmy had one of the most productive seasons at the tight end position in Seahawks <laughs> history last year. The best. Number one in, in yards. I, I think, get like, it. Receptions I last get year. it. I get it. But 
I honestly think he just we don't see him make huge stress that he doesn't I I mean I'm not a defensive coordinator if I was I wouldn't be here but he just doesn't apply the pressure that you thought you saw from the Saints in the red zone like you just you're not seeing that being an asset and I just this season has just been brutal. Now, obviously, I think we've seen in seasons past where Jimmy's had slow starts and being able to really catch stride midway through the season. So I'm going to give him just a little bit more time to see him get involved. But honestly, Dave, my my patience is running thin on that whole deal. So and I can certainly see this. I could certainly see the problem is is though is a contract. His contract doesn't allow him to be really moved anywhere in in the league in a trade. I think what is it like 10 10 mil guarantee, you know, 10 mil to the cap that someone yeah. would have to absorb. And at this point in the season there's not a lot of teams out there that still have that much room in their cap. So Right. Yeah. And the teams that so, that do, they're not willing to spend the money. So I just I think it's going to be interesting to answer your question though, Dave. Who's on the hot? I don't think anybody's on the hot seat. Um, I think you would have to wait until the end of the season. I don't see anybody departing the departing the team in the mid year. I mean, things are really going to have to go downhill. Like, th- you know, we're going to have to lose a, a lose a good stretch of games for somebody to really be on the hot seat. Well, and it depends on who it is. If, it, if that offensive line, if this offense cannot do anything because of that offensive line, I think you could really see a, a voice be risen on. Tom Cable. Let me ask you this about Jimmy Graham real quick before we talk about the coaches. Um, I agree with you, though, on what you said about the coaches. Do you think with Jimmy Graham that he would be talked about like this if he were on another team? If he were on the Saints, if he were on the Raiders, if he were on Tennessee, what have you. Do you think other people would be saying, ah, you know what, he's, he's losing a step a little bit. He's maybe... It's not trying as hard, you know, some fans think. Or do you think it's uh it's on the coaches that if he went somewhere else he'd be he'd be thriving, he'd he'd be a top five tight end like he's supposed to be. What do you think? Could he still perform if he's on another team or do you or do you think it's how we're using him? I think it's certainly how we're using him. hundred percent. I think if you were to put him on a team like the Patriots, if you were to put him on a team like if you kept him at the Saints, I'm sure he'd be the number one or two tight end in the league. Like he was before he showed up at Seattle. I just feel like we get these guys, okay? We get these players um, on offense that had made huge contributions to the teams that they've been with in those offenses. For example, Jimmy Graham. For example, Percy Harvin. And we get these guys, and when we bring them into this system on offense, we just we just don't find a way to integrate it like we just don't find a way to put it together and using these guys and we've tried to we saw a little bit with percy harvin they really tried to get him involved it just yeah. wasn't working so like it was many kind, wide receiver screens it was kind of like overboard right and it's yeah. just like this is not working we have to find a different way but i think it just goes back to like the seahawks trying to go out and get these offensive talent pieces and they're just not they're just they're not worth it 
It's just the system. I think it's we just I think, yeah. I just think it's Daryl Bevel's system doesn't doesn't allow for one player to take over the game on offense. Really, the only guy that can really take over the game on offense is the running back position. Yeah, I was going to say so it's the running back. It's it really comes down to the running back being able to take over the game on offense. But if anybody in really those other skill positions, you know, tight ends and outside receivers, inside receivers. You're, you just don't have – they're just not put in positions for them to be one-on-one and really take over the game. Like you would see from you know the, the Steelers and Antonio Brown or, or the Patriots and Gronkowski, like these big-time yeah. names, you know? And that also goes into Pete Carroll's philosophy. You know, he wants to run, run the football and then run play action, have explosive – passing plays and there's also kind of been a a strange obsession with getting this tall receiver you know you can look back to just early on in the Pete Carroll era we got Mike Williams kind of resurrected from the grave Um, and then Sidney Rice being that guy later on and it feels like they didn't have that for a little bit and they really wanted Jimmy Graham I think that the coaches this last offseason were aware of some of their soft spots on offense, particularly the offensive line, and there will be a little bit of change in philosophy. We did go out and try and sign TJ Lang from the Packers who ended up going to Detroit. Um, but I feel like you have to realize that having these paying these receiver positions isn't working out if your quarterback is panicked every time he snaps the ball, it feels like. Um, and there's kind of been a philosophy that, you know, on the win forever mode, you know, before as you have a cheap quarterback and that's how you pay defense. But now it's pay defense, don't pay your offensive line, but have a quarterback that can be magic, that can buy time in the pocket when it's not there and make enough plays that uh, you win the game, you know, still with your defense. Talking about Tom Cable and and the hot seat, I, I really don't see it either. So many fans are calling for it, but I honestly don't think Pete Carroll's, that's where, his, that's where he's at. He's a very loyal coach. And I think for him, it's just, hey, we've got to get better every single week, and we're going to get better this week. And so I don't think his mindset is – because what do you do once you fire a coach that that year? You know, is there someone really better on staff that you can slide in or somebody sit on the couch that's, you know, suddenly going to make magic happen? No, probably not. Um, so I, I really don't see that happening. And I'm not sure there's any more trades being made. We did make a lot in the preseason. I really want to see uh, Posich, who we drafted in the second round. I'd like to see him get – a chance at one of the guard positions. Ode Abushi, it sounds like, is going to get a chance maybe this weekend over Glowinski because he just doesn't look like an NFL guard. He just doesn't. Um, so I'd like to see maybe some change with personnel. In the past, you've seen a lot of that with Tom Cable the first few weeks. It always gets tinkered, tinkered, tinkered. Never seemed like we can get it right, right out of the gates. And then all of a sudden, a, a lot of times, not all of a sudden, the last, you know, so there's like a stretch there, you know, between weeks, you know, 10 and 14 where things really click. Um, and it seems like, hey, we're going to be good for playoffs. So I hope that happens this year. But it does feel, I guess, more frustrating this year than others. Uh, Kurt, I have a question for you. That I, I had a thought today. The Seahawks' offensive line has been r- really poor so far, but the defensive line has been unreal. What is? What do you think it's like at Seahawks practice for that O line to go into that that D yeah, line? Yeah, no that, kidding. Does that you think help it, you the think O line get better, or is think, that demoralizing? Well, you think it would help them at all, but the problem is, is that you only that your your talent you have is is only going to go take you so far. 
I mean, Riso Diombo at left tackle got his ass handed to him almost every play this last weekend. I mean, it was incredible. Like, it was so – I've never really done this in watching the Seahawks play, really honing in on a specific position and watching watching a player perform on a play instead of watching where the ball goes. And I just caught myself watching Riso Diombo at left tackle. Don't do that to yourself. That's painful. And it honestly was – I almost – I think I had nightmares that night. Like I literally <laughs> had nightmares that Riso Diombo was there to help protect my life, and he just let the guy in. Like he literally just was a swinging gate, and he got put on his butt a number of times throughout the game. Now Pete Carroll came out and just said that, you know – the offensive line got better as the game got on, went on. But I'll tell you what, Reese Odiamba left tackle. Russ needs his blind side to protect it big time. And unfortunately, that's just going to be real tough. And I just to answer your question, Dave, I just don't think they have the talent. They just don't. That's the reason why they're not getting paid. It's just, yeah. I mean, if they had the talent, they'd be getting paid and we'd be, be able to do things you know, better on offense just because Russell would have more time and, We'd actually be able to run the ball for once. So, yeah, I mean, that defensive line is just filthy. It's so much fun to watch them play. It is. That 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 part is really fun to watch. I have loved Sheldon Richardson. The linebackers have been balling out. Pro Football Focus gave Richard Sherman a terrible grade for his four-reception 38-yard uh, game, which, you know. Which he's hurt, too. Richard yeah, Sherman's he is, he hurt. hurt a bit. Shouldn't have got a terrible grade. That's what's annoying yeah. about Pro football focus. Their offensive line grades are actually a little bit better, I think. Um, there's some annoying stuff there. But the defense has been awesome. You know what, though? San Fran's, we talked about this last week. San Fran's D, their front seven is actually pretty talented. They've they've had some high draft capital put in those guys. Uh, so I wasn't surprised to see the, the offensive line play similar to Green Bay. I think this next week against Tennessee, it'll be a little bit easier going. Tennessee doesn't really have that good of a defense. It kind of gets them by. Jarrell Casey, who is a USC guy, uh, he's a Pete Carroll recruit. He's good. He's very underrated. Um, he's been on Tennessee for a while. Interior D lineman that can that can rush the quarterback, which there's not a ton of those in the NFL. He'll cause some trouble, uh, similar to Mike Daniels in Green Bay. Uh, mm-hmm. But overall, to me, it's not really a playmaking defense. So I feel like this is a good game. Um, you know, a lot of people are thinking we're going to lose this game because Tennessee uh, um, has looked like a solid team. They were kind of everybody's darling this preseason. Um, but I think our, our offense is going to play actually a lot better uh, than it has these last two games. It's going on the road, and the defense the defense always travels. The defense is going to be just as good as it was against Green Bay and San Francisco as it was Tennessee. How are you feeling about the Tennessee game, and do you got a prediction for me? Yeah, I think the Hawks are going to have a tough, tough game on the road against a really good Titans team. It's going to be a tough game, Dave. I think this is going to be pretty similar to what we saw from the first game of the season at Green Bay. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I don't think the Titans have quite – as many offensive uh, pieces as the Packers, but it's pretty close. I mean, the Packers or the Titans, you know, Delaney Walker's solid tight end, and tight ends have always kind of been a big bugaboo for this Seahawks defense. Um, they have, uh, I believe it's Derrick Henry now that's running the ball for them. I love Derrick Henry. That I dude mean, is a train. He's he is pre- he's pretty He's pretty good. So, um, and then you got uh, Rashard Matthews on the outside, and nah, I'm not uh, worried about him. 
Yeah, and, and not not necessarily worried about him. But there was who was the other guy that the they've receiver? got Eric Decker, who yeah, was right. a touchdown a game this in his career. It feels yeah. like every game he scores a touchdown in the past. And they've also got Corey Davis, the number five overall pick, I That's believe, right. as a wide receiver. He's out for this game, and Demarco Murray is questionable for this game. Yeah, now, so yeah, I mean, Eric Henry's good, but be, I think yeah. Hey, hey, give me the prediction though. What do you think? Yeah, I think the, I think the. Bummer that I'm going to have to do this, Dave, but I honestly think that uh, Tennessee's going to win this game. And I think when Tennessee's going to win this game, like a, they're going to win it like a 17-14 ball game. I mean, it's going to be another grinder like we saw in Lambeau. And uh, unfortunately, the Hawks are going to go on the road again, and they're going to be down one and two on the season. So... Yeah. I think I think it's going to be a tough one. I think there's going to be a lot of to learn from this weekend. Um, who knows? You know, hopefully they surprise me. But uh, this Tennessee team's are pretty good. And uh, on the road, East Coast. Luckily, it's an afternoon game, um, so that's good. I think the Hawks are going to fall just short. Uh, you're soft, Kurt. Yeah, <laughs> you're weak. That's why you're predicting that. But I'll be yeah. honest. I actually had something similar. I thought this could be like a 12-10 game for Tennessee. Um, but the more I thought about it, the more my bias increased. I flipped the script. I see Tennessee getting a lot of field goals out of this game because uh, I think Derrick Henry, they'll be able to move the ball between the 20s. Uh, I don't see him scoring but one touchdown. I got the Hawks. I think they're going to take a positive step um, being an optimist here offensively. I just don't think Tennessee's – defense is that good um i got the hawks winning a very close one 17 16 um and 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 kind of running out of there um so it's gonna be good tennessee's a good measuring stick you know green bay is kind of the top of the nfc we we're right there with them san francisco is the bottom of the nfc and we we're right there with them so you kind of don't know what you got you know what, what does this mean you know for seahawks we're kind of playing to the level of our competition a little bit here uh tennessee feels a little more in the middle they'll probably be a, a playoff team in the afc they'll either win that division a lot of people are predicting or be a wild card team but right. probably win the division so this is i think this is kind of somewhere where um you know, this will be a good measuring block. After three weeks, we'll have a better idea um, on, on where these where these Hawks are at. But I got to win, Kurt. I got to pick up for That'd a win. That would be a huge podcast. That would be a huge win. I think that would be a huge win for this for this team on the road. I mm-hmm. think that would be a, a fantastic Sunday. That would be a great day on Sunday if we're able to get <laughs> that win. I'm telling you, it's going to be a grinder, man. It's going to be tough. Mariota's pretty solid. They got a running game a little bit, and uh, man, Dave, I, I think I'd be super ecstatic if we we're able to pull out that win in, in Tennessee. But well, I, look I just think we're going to be falling a little short. I just don't know if the offense still has the 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 oomph to get us over the top. Well, Kurt, I think we're about ready to wrap this one up. Yeah. But I just want to say before we sign out that our hope and our goal, as we talked about this, for the next podcast part, maybe all of it. Might be recorded in person. Kurt, you're up there in Seattle. I'm down here in Portland. But yeah, this we weekend, might be we're coming it, together. Might be doing it watch this the Cougar football game, and maybe I don't know. Get some instant reactions after the game. Be able to talk in person. So that next podcast, I'm really looking forward to it. We friend. might be able to do like an instant recap. Oh yeah, the, absolutely. The Cougar game. Put that on there. So that would be uh, <laughs> that'd be quite fun. Thanks for reminding me about that. By the way, You'll, make yeah. sure you text me to remind me to bring the stuff too. So yeah, okay. I don't I'll forget. Do my best. Good. Well. um, yeah, solid day today. Thanks for everybody for checking in. Next week we've got uh, 
We got a big we got a big show next week. Big time, big time football <laughs> for Washington State University next week, Dave. I uh, don't want to look forward past Nevada. I mean, I mean, fingers crossed we're four and zero heading in the next week. Going to be taking on the top one of the top ranked teams in USC on a sold out Friday night next week. So can't get can't not wait. We're going to dedicate a lot of the show next week to that, and hopefully we're going to dedicate a lot of the show to a big time win over Tennessee on Sunday. So this could be a could be a good week next week, Dave. Could be pretty exciting. Football's just rearing up here in the PNW, so can't wait for it. Love it. But again, thanks for everybody for joining us. Subscribe on iTunes, nwsportsfix.com, and uh, really appreciate all the supporters out there. We'll see you next week, and uh, have a wonderful weekend. Enjoy the football, everyone.